Hello, my friends. I am sweltering in the Sea of Galilee. It's 37, 38 degrees Celsius here, but I got a story for you from North America. I want to talk to you about the Anti-Defamation League, which is allegedly an anti-anti-Semitism group, but I put it to you that they are actually a leading cause of anti-Semitism. I'll make my case. But first, let me invite you to go to rebelnewsplus.com. That's where you can get the video version of this podcast. I'd like you to do that because we show you so many things. We don't just tell it to you. And Rebel News Plus gives you the video version. It's just eight bucks a month. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, the Anti-Defamation League weaponizes anti-Semitism to attack Elon Musk. It's September 7th, and this is CS for Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Hi, everybody. As you can see, I am in Israel. It is 37 degrees Celsius, but I'm wearing long pants because we are here in Capernaum, and there are some churches where you have to dress modestly, no shorts, uh, really short sleeves, no tank tops, I mean no shorts. Uh, we're here because Rebel News is on a week-long journalist mission in Israel, and then three days in the United Arab Emirates, we're going to investigate the Abraham Accords, the peace treaty between Israel and some of its Arab neighbors. So we're touring around, not just me, Sheila Gunn-Reed, Abi Yamini, David Menzies, and a couple of other rebels, but our most enthusiastic guests. So today, we're here in the Galilee, and we had a little bit of fun on the Sea of Galilee. Here's just some images of that. We did a little bit of a Hava Nagila dance. We raised the Canadian flag on the boat. It was a hoot getting to know some rebels from mainly Canada, but there's some Brits and some Australians and some Americans. It's a great group of people, and you're welcome to come on all our rebel events. But today I want to get down to a subject that has nothing to do with our trip here. Well, except in one way, maybe. I want to talk about how something called the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, has taken the real issue of anti-Semitism or hating Jews and has weaponized it and deployed it for partisan purposes. The ADL has been around for a long time, and it was an explicitly anti-anti-Semitic organization. By that, I mean its purpose was to fight back against anti-Semitism. They called it the Anti-Defamation League because their theory was people were defaming Jews, and they wanted to set the record straight, tell the truth, and fight back against the biggest. I think it was a noble mission, sort of like the NAACP or other black organizations trying to defend against anti-black racism. But just like the black civil rights movement has had tremendous success, so too has the anti-anti-Semitism movement. There is really trivial traces of anti-Semitism left in uh, American life, in Canadian life, in most of Western Europe. It's simply not acceptable to be anti-Semitism, to be anti-Semitic. I'm not saying there's none, but it is so minor, it cannot be called systemic anymore. And I'd say the same thing about being black. I mean, the United States has had a black president, and then re-elected him. In Canada, we never had slavery other than a few traces of slavery, usually indigenous tribes having other indigenous slaves. So Canada, I mean, 
many of its largest cities like Toronto and Vancouver are majority minority cities. My point is that many of the civil rights crusades of the 60s have succeeded. But instead of wrapping up and saying, all right, we declared victory, now let's go back to a normal life, they've perpetuated themselves for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's good business to be in the anti-anti-Semitism, the anti-bigotry business. You get lots of sympathy in the media. You've got lots of attention. You get government grants. It's great for fundraising. But more importantly, even than the industry itself, is weaponizing the charge of anti-Semitism or anti-Blackism or transphobia or misogyny or whatever it is, weaponizing that and deploying it against your political enemies. And that is what the ADL has done. The ADL was already liberal and anti-conservative and frankly, a little bit anti-Christian to begin with. Then a few years ago, it hired as its CEO, a personal assistant to Barack Obama. You can see them here bantering in the White House. Uh, his name is Greenblatt, and he is the CEO. But he, I would say he's not really working for the ADL. I think he is really an embedded Democratic Party activist. And just like Barack Obama liked to weaponize racism and the charge of racism against conservatives, Greenblatt weaponizes the charge of anti-Semitism against conservatives. Uh, they're quite silent when it's anti-Semitic bigotry coming from Islamic sources. We see that in Canada, too. The so-called Canadian Anti-Hate Network only looks for hate on the right. It never looks for hate on the left, which is where most anti-Semitism is these days, university campuses, woke policies, and amongst Muslim communities. I'm not saying that all Muslims are anti-Semitic, of course not, but I'm saying that most of the anti-Semitic rhetoric you find in Western Europe, in Canada, the United States, is not from Christians. It's from people who have imported the anti-Semitism here from countries that are explicitly anti-Semitic. Uh, and, but it's difficult for liberals to, to accuse someone of anti-Semitism if they are immigrants, if they are Muslim. Um, so the ADL does not blow the whistle on actual anti-Semitism, just like the Canadian Anti-Hate Network doesn't blow the whistle on actual bigotry. Rather, what they do is they accuse the enemies of the party of being anti-Semitic. And that does two things. First of all, it's a false accusation. But second of all, people see it's a false accusation and they start to, to devalue the word anti-Semitic to begin with. What I mean by that is if everyone can see that an accusation of anti-Semitism is false, they become angry about it and they say, you're just using anti-Semitism as a trick, as a weapon. You've discredited it. It's like, it's like the boy who cried wolf. No one believes you anymore. In fact, they're rather resentful. And they say, oh, the Jews are just using that label to delegitimize their political opponents. It's actually the worst of all things. I believe that the Anti-Defamation League actually creates more anti-Semitism than it fixes. I believe that. And here's the example I use. Elon Musk, who paid $44 billion to buy Twitter, has been falsely accused of promoting anti-Semitism and other bigotry on Twitter. Now, here's uh, someone, I believe it was from, I can't remember, Channel 4 or the BBC, asking Elon Musk about it and saying, I've seen a lot more um, bigotry on uh, Twitter. And look at Elon Musk saying, give me an example, give me an example, give me an example. And it's clear that the journalist 
Why? Do you remember this? This was from a few months ago. Content you don't like or or hateful? What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will solicit a reaction, something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, is I'm that not, what you're saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying. Well, I'm just curious. I'm, just, I'm trying to understand what you mean by hateful con content, and I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and if, and you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me. You've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more, it, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's but, why I'm asking for examples. Can, right. you, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't need, I, I, honestly, you I don't You can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why, because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore, because I, I just don't particularly like it. But you said actually, a lot, of people, a lot of people are quite similar. I, 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 only, well, I only look well, at hang my, on a second. My you said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example, not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks. And I, well, I, then I how did you I, see the hateful content? content? Because I've been I've been using I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen that you for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right. And you I, can't I, give a single I, one. And, and, and I'm saying I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well, that's a false. No, what I claimed, you just lied. What no no what I claim was. Uh, there are many uh, organizations that say that that kind of information is on the rise. Now, whether whether it has on my feed or example. not, I mean, I, right, and Literally you can, can you something one. like the, the uh, Strategic Dialogue uh, Institute in the, in the UK, they will say that. So you, they, Look, people will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example, and you can't name one. Right, and as, as I've already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, then how let, would you know? That I don't you, think this is getting anywhere. You literally said you experienced more hateful content and then couldn't name a single example. Right, and as I said, I that's absurd. I haven't, I haven't actually looked at that feed. I then how would you know this hateful content? Because I'm saying that's what I saw a few weeks ago. I can't give you an exact example. Let's move on. We have, we only have a certain amount of time. Um, so that journalist hadn't actually seen anything bigoted. Had not. Couldn't come up with an example. And then through to some study years ago before Elon Musk even bought Twitter. You can see it was an attack on Elon Musk that was baseless, that was weaponizing the accusation of bigotry just for a partisan attack. And that has happened not just from the media, but from these so-called anti-hate groups. And here's Elon Musk in recent days saying that the ADL in, in particular has been threatening advertisers, has been putting on a boycott of advertisers who would advertise on the Twitter platform and that has caused Twitter ad sales to fall pretty much in half. Here's Elon Musk saying that the advertisers themselves are blaming the ADL for the reason they're breaking their contracts, not renewing their contracts. It's basically they have been threatened. Now watch this. Here's a clip from the mainstream media where a liberal journalist actually asks the head of the ADL, did you try to shake down Elon Musk and Twitter? Here, I'll let you see the exact wording, but my point is there's a move on the left. Al Sharpton perfected it probably 20 years ago. Jesse Jackson perfected it. They would accuse big companies of anti-black racism, and then they would offer themselves up as a solution. They would say, your company is deeply racist. Your company is deeply anti-black, but for just a quarter million dollars, we'll come into your office and have an anti-racism 
training session and we will give you a bill of good health. So we're about to make an accusation against you. So you had better pay us. That's actually one of the things that sent Michael Avenatti to prison. He was trying to shake down Nike in that way. Take a look at the head of the ADL being asked, did you try to shake down Elon Musk? Take a look. Brands are big boys and girls. They will make their own decisions. I mean, let's be clear here. Like, this is the wealthiest man in the world running one of the most powerful media platforms on the planet. We're a nonprofit here in New York. So I think figuring out, like, who has the power in this relationship, it's pretty clear to me. Fundamentally believe that Elon Musk is anti-Semitic? I have never said Elon Musk is anti-Semitic. I've been on this show and said that I didn't think he was anti-Semitic. And I don't think Twitter as a platform is anti-Semitic. And as we've said here, hate speech is the price of free speech. But let's acknowledge that when Elon Musk and the platform bring people, hardened anti-Semites, back on, when they validate their rantings, when they algorithmically amplify them and allow it to spread. How out there are you, publicly and behind the scenes, talking to advertisers and telling them do not advertise on this platform. Are you doing that? We are not out there publicly or privately talking to advertisers. Frankly, it's true, we did call for a pause back in November right. after the acquisition. And then since then, since that initial statement, what we are doing is engaging with the management of the company, trying to help them make it better. A question, because sure. I know this has been a critique of, 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 of your organization and, is, and of many. Were you seeking to have some kind of either role at Twitter or any kind of uh, donations made or other things? No. I only say that because there have been folks who've looked at these situations and felt that they were being sh you know, shaken down. Look, I think, l l let me be honest about that, right? I think it is a sort of anti-Semitic trope to suggest when Jewish people express uh, a degree of outrage over anti-Semitism, that somehow that's a shakedown because Jews are greedy. That sounds and I, to me... I'm, and I, and look, I'm not I'm saying Jewish, so you I'm believe not, I'm not even that. Trying to, I, I'm just saying that that is the... Occasionally look, you hear the critique uh, among uh, not-for-profits in certain cases that are involved in certain causes that talk to companies, and they, you, you hear it from, from, from you know, leaders who say, I feel like I'm... I hear that. So what we've tried to do over the years with Twitter, right. with YouTube, with Facebook and all of its platforms, with Reddit, with Discord, right. I could go on and on, is to work right. with them to make those platforms I'm better. You'll notice that not only does he not deny it, he lashes out at the Jewish reporter saying, oh, that's just an anti-Semitic trope. It's not anti-Semitic to ask if you've been shaking down a guy, especially if the answer is, Yes, you have been. And here's Elon Musk confirming that the ADL actually asked for cash. So Elon Musk, who has one of the largest followings on Twitter, no surprise, started to criticize the ADL for their censorship tactics. And the ADL lashed back with this bizarre statement, accusing them of every sort of racism, accusing Elon Musk of promoting neo-Nazis. It's the worst guilt by association you ever did see. But then look at this. The ADL turned the whole thing into a fundraising campaign. Not only did they lash out at Elon Musk and other Twitter personalities on the right, but then they said, hey, Jewish donors, we're under attack by these anti-Semites. Better give us some cash. So false accusations, an attempt to shake down Elon Musk for donations to make the problem go away, 
Elon Musk reporting that this kind of shakedown is actually affecting his advertising and then playing to type and literally fundraising off the hoax and the hype. That's the ADL. The ADL is saying that Twitter's an anti-Semitic place and saying that Elon Musk himself is anti-Semitic. I, I simply don't believe that. I, I think not only is he tolerant in general, but he's never shown any evidence of being anti-Semitic. Simply retweeting, retweeting questions about the ADL is not anti-Semitism. It reminds me of how people try to stop any conversation about George Soros, saying to criticize George Soros is, by definition, to be anti-Semitic. To criticize uh, globalist uh, schemers is, by definition, anti-Semitic, which is to imply that if you're a global schemer, you're a Jew. I think it's, yeah, it's that that's anti-Semitic. And it reminds me of Anthony Fauci saying, to criticize me is to criticize science. No, it's not. And you don't get to exempt yourself from any public debate just by blowing your hate crime whistle. That's what's so fascinating about Elon Musk, is he's so big that maybe he can survive the kind of cancel culture tactics that no one else has been able to. He says he's going to sue the ADL, and they call it a frivolous lawsuit. Well, maybe it is, or maybe it's not. Let me remind you, a few years ago, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is the same sort of shakedown company as the ADL, they made accusations against an interesting fellow in London, accusing him of being an Islamic extremist. Majid Nawaz is his name. And he used to be an Islamic radical, but then he had an epiphany, and he's become sort of an ultra-moderate, progressive, peaceful, intellectual thinker. I actually follow him and find him quite fascinating. They said that Majid Nawaz was an extremist. He sued them. And look at this stunning and groveling apology, plus a multi-million dollar payment that the um, Southern Poverty Law Center published. So maybe it's a frivolous lawsuit, or maybe there's internal communications um, in the ADL that make it clear that they know Elon Musk is not anti-Semitic, but it's good business to say that he is because they'll have that fundraising letter. That's the thing about defamation suits is you get access to internal records. Do you doubt that the ADL, like the SPLC, like the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, do you doubt that they have fundraising meetings when they talk about how lucrative it would be to accuse this person or that person of anti-Semitism or anti-Black bigotry? So the ADL has forced itself into the limelight. And then now they're complaining that they're in the limelight and that it's just anti-Semitism. I'm on Team Elon Musk on this one. Not just because I can see it's a false smear, but because I hate the fact that Judaism, that the Jewish religion is being rented out by the ADL for their own profit and to smear enemies of the Democratic Party. Elon Musk is an enemy of the Democrats and the deep state insofar as he's against their cancel culture style. He voted Democrat in the past. I wouldn't say he's particularly Republican. I would just say he's a free speech absolutist. And that absolutely outrages the ADL who wants to censor anyone on the right by calling them bigots. For example, they said that it was doubtless that um, Tucker Carlson himself was anti-Semitic. I've never heard anything more absurd. I, I don't know any more, anyone more philo-Semitic than Tucker Carlson. The ADL is simply an opposition war room for the Democrats, the same way their laughable uh, uh, counterpart in Canada, the Anti-Hate Network, is basically a mouthpiece for Justin Trudeau and takes cash as you know directly from Trudeau. So those are some of my thoughts here. I'm sweltering 
in the desert heat uh, here at the Sea of Galilee. It's 37, 38 degrees, so hot that my notes on my cell phone, my cell phone, it hasn't frozen. It's overheated. I was going to read some of my notes from my phone, but I have had to go from memory. But uh, the reason I say this is because there is real anti-Semitism in the world. There is. And I think that what we have to do is keep the word anti-Semite sharp and not dull it by overuse. So that when we do say that someone is anti-Semitic, we mean it and we can prove it. And we, it's a call to arms, not a false boy crying wolf, as the ADL has done for fun and partisan profit for many years. Later on in this tour, we'll be going to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum and Memorial. And we'll see what real anti-Semitism is like. And then we'll be going to the United Arab Emirates, a country that until recently was technically at war with the Jewish state, a country that had an ideological embargo on anything Jewish from Israel. We'll be seeing how a country has moved beyond anti-Semitism, and we'll see what it's like for Jews in the United Arab Emirates. I wonder if it's easier to be Jewish in Dubai and Abu Dhabi than it is, say, in Paris or even parts of London. We'll give you that report. So that's my monologue here sweltering from the Sea of Galilee. It's so gorgeous here. And, uh, but Canada has been on my mind, not just the ADL battle, which affects us in Canada, but of course, Tamara Leach at her trial, which is uh, entering its, uh, I guess, fourth day. My colleagues, Robert Krejcik and Lincoln Jay are doing a great job there. And when I'm back in Canada and Sheila Gunry will be attending the trial too. Hey, I want to show you one more video that I recorded in the West Bank town of Ariel, we visited a company that makes scaffolds. And it's a company that is about two-thirds Palestinian and one-third Jewish. And let me tell you, let me show you my report from there. And it was only 31 degrees. You take a look at this. Ezra Levant here. I am outside the town of Ariel in Israel. Now, it's in a disputed territory. Israel would call it Judea and Samaria. Uh, Israel's critics would call it occupied West Bank, but it is here and this is an enormous factory. You can see a truck just arriving with a lot of scaffolding material. Take a look over there. It's aluminum or steel. They have different kinds. From this factory here, they make these parts, ship them out to construction sites, mainly in Israel proper, and then they come back here to be cleaned up, refurbished or whatnot. It's an enormous factory. We had a bit of a tour earlier and why would we come all the way to Israel to see a scaffolding factory? And it's sort of cool, but is that really worth traveling thousands of miles? Well, the answer is yes, because there's an interesting story here. It's about 150 men who work in this factory, very busy, it's an industrious place. A hundred of them are Palestinian and 50 are Israeli, but they work together in harmony. Now that's important because this is a factory in a community where there are Israeli towns and Arab towns, and to work together harmoniously is a success story. And of course, no good deed goes unpunished. There are forces in the West, in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, that do not want the success of a peaceful, harmonious coexistence like this factory. Now, this factory is sort of immune to political pressure because all of its customers are in Israel. It doesn't matter if someone in London or Brussels or New York stamps their feet about this factory. Its customers are here and they're to use it. But there have been other companies like SodaStream, the 
homemade uh, carbonation system that's pretty popular. SodaStream had a factory nearby that employed both Jews and Muslims harmoniously. In fact, its president is quite a liberal guy who talked about building peace through commerce. And yet there was a global boycott of SodaStream. The president said, look, I can move the factory to China and save a lot of dough, no problem. But the whole idea here is to build peace. And to its eternal shame, Canada's United Church boycotted SodaStream. They despised the idea that there could be a harmonious factory in the West Bank employing both Jews and Muslims working together. They did not want that success story. And so, regrettably, a few years back, SodaStream did leave. SodaStream is still operating, but those Muslims no longer have work. And, and I think that's part of the problem. There are certain forces that have an investment in misery and war. For example, the United Nations Human uh, Rights Relief Agency, UNRWA, if I'm saying that right, it's dedicated to refugees who were created in the 1948 uh, Israeli uh, independence. Well, that's obviously uh, almost a century ago, frankly. There's not very many refugees left from that. And yet that UN agency continues on, and they're calling the children and grandchildren of refugees refugees still. My point is, it's an entire industry based on failure. I mean, we see that in Canada with the uh, poverty industry, the homelessness industry, the free drug, uh, safe drug use industry. They don't actually want people to solve the problem. They don't want East Hastings Street in Vancouver to be cleaned up. They don't want homelessness to be fixed because then they'd be out of a job. I think there's a lot of interests that like to see war in the Middle East, that like to see disharmony. I don't know what the United Church of Canada's angle is. That boggles me. I hope there's no anti-Semitism behind that. But there are people who want failure. Uh, let me leave you with, I think, uh, a very exciting video. video. As you remember, um, last week there were riots in three different Canadian cities, in Toronto, Edmonton, and Calgary, by Eritrean migrants, many of whom claimed to be refugees. They were melees. They were up to 150 people fighting each other with bats and clubs. And yet in none of those three cities, so far as I record this, has there been a single arrest. I tell you that because Tamara Leach is on trial for inciting mischief, and yet she didn't do a single violent thing. You have 150 men who go to a protest with clubs and bats on purpose. You have dozens of police there. They literally read the riot act and not a single arrest. Here's the Calgary police chief uh, trying to explain away the fact that he hasn't made a single arrest. Look at this, bro. This clash was centered around two separate events scheduled in the city's northeast quadrant. The scheduled events were peaceful in nature and all attendees are not to be blamed for the violence that transpired alongside them. I wanna be very clear. The clash was not a protest. This was a planned, targeted attack made by some members of the involved communities. This is really the largest violent event to happen in our city in recent memory, if you think about the numbers of people that were involved in this. We are actively investigating this incident and we will hold those responsible for the criminal activity that took place there. It, it could be characterized as a riot, but at the end of the day, I, I think it's fine just to say that it was a a senseless violence that was sort of planned and premeditated. I think the underlying issues that that sort of, you know, drive this are, are very complicated. Um, and there's very strong feelings on both sides of it, as you might expect. 
but at the end of the day, we're not policing ideologies. We don't, we're not, we don't get on one side or the other of this. This is around behavior for us. And so the behavior that we see in the videos and in the, in the reporting of this is the very same behavior that we've seen in other cities. And it's, it's not okay. And it's not okay in our city. Um, I would have been very happy to see arrests made at the scene. I think there's a real deterrent effect to that. But I understand and support the decisions that were made around uh, the priorities that were set and executed. And so that's fair enough. We'll deal with it after the fact. No, I don't think you'll see it that quickly. We put together a task group today, an investigative group that will go after all of the offenses in relation to this. So again, I think it's really important that uh, that we demonstrate that this is not okay in our city and that the individuals who committed criminal offenses there in the parking lot be held to account for that. Well, I think with respect to the violence, like when we're talking about bringing, you know, rocks and bricks and that type of thing and throwing them at other people and putting them in the hospital, I think there should be some serious repercussions for that. This is not something we can condone in our uh, city and the people that were involved in in the worst of that uh, should should feel the wrath. What an embarrassing police officer. That's the guy who can't make an arrest with 150 rioters, but he was happy to take uh, Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky out of his car for a dramatic takedown arrest in the middle of the highway. But let me leave you with a report by my colleague Avi Amini here in Israel, where the Eritreans also had a riot. Unlike in Canada, the government here has arrested and jailed dozens of those rioters. Take a look at what Avi found when he went to that neighborhood. Avi Amini for Rebel News in Tel Aviv, Israel, at the location where violent street clashes broke out between two opposing asylum seeker groups. The two Eritrean groups both claiming asylum here in Israel. The red side declaring their support for the Eritrean government, while the blue opposed to the government they fled. It raises the question though, if they love the government, why are they seeking asylum here in Israel? The ones wearing the red, yeah. they say they love the government there. Yeah. So why are they here? This is stupidness. You, you can't go to your country because of the kind of government you have. So why are you supporting them? Was it scary? It was very clear. We run away, go inside the homes. Well, it was very clear. You know, everybody was clear, you know. And then I got to the Nazis in Eritrea. Manta, the kind of body, Iman, we have to, I think, not sure. Lama, Lama. Why would they come here if they love the government there? I don't know. They came and they were claiming they, uh, they need uh, protection from the government of Israel. So, I don't know what's happened or what is happening to them now. They are now supporting their government. I cannot tell. I'm not part of them, so I cannot judge them. While the footage indeed shocked the nation, and in fact the world, the government here in Israel has now arrested over 50 of those responsible for the violence and are holding them in detention, talking about deporting them. Even a local Palestinian man who comes here to work directly across from the site every day, he says he wasn't here on Saturday when that violence broke out, but he himself says they should be deported. That stance infuriating many on the left here in Israel but a right-wing member of Knesset here says, hey, if you don't want us to deport them back to the country they fled, well, we should deport them to your local neighbourhoods in northern Tel Aviv. We know, we know about the, the shit. No, no care. We want to live in yeah. freedom. 
freedom of the creation is born us. Freedom. Do you think it's okay to deport them if they got violent here? Yes, because who say what a violent the loss of the country supposed to deal with according to the the the, the, uh, the laws of the country. Understand? So if they want to deport them, they use their hand and find the, the, the you know got themselves in trouble. You have people uh, happy it because people here in the, the street, no paper, no no home, no food. It's a friend. This is why they got violent? It's, it, it's difficult. Like me, me now, I come 2005 until now. I don't get feel like me, I need exactly. Yeah. I'm working, I'm doing, but no. But do you get violent on the street? No. no. It's bad, man. You know I'm sick and I'm sorry. And I'm also part of them. But for me, I have to make sure I do what is right. I just, after I go from work, I close from work, I go home. And I don't have to do anything that is going to cause problem to the society and the nation or the country that I'm living in. It's not a good idea because they, they have sympathized. People of Israeli, the government have sympathized and, I mean, showing us a, a sympathy. Well, that's our show for today. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. It wasn't uh, as perfect as I would like it to be because I was unable to read my notes. It's just so hot. My phone shut down and I was going to uh, be more precise by reading some of the tweets and reading some of the memos from the ADL, but we'll show them on the screen and hopefully that'll be clear. I'm here with Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies, so they will be doing reports from Israel as well, and I'll try to make things meaningful. I can hardly wait to go to the United Arab Emirates. There's one thing in particular I'm looking forward to. In that country, they've built this Abraham Friendship Center. They call it the Abraham Accords, where there's a mosque, a church, and a synagogue co-located in one place. I find that fascinating, and I can hardly wait to go there and tell you the story from it. Until then, on behalf of all of us here from Rebel News to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.